Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Want to make 2017 your best year ever? Then let me be your teacher, your mentor. I've prepared special courses and webinars for you that will help you succeed and to give you access directly to me. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today. You have nothing to lose. Try me for 30 days and if you aren't satisfied, I guarantee you a full refund, no questions asked. Don't go it alone. Let me be your guide at mojouniversity.com. Be successful today. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today, Joshua Spodek. Now, Josh Spodek is a best-selling author of Leadership Step-by-Step. Now, we're going to talk about that a lot today, but a little bit of his background is incredibly uh, important for you to understand. It's also a very impressive guy. He's not only a best-selling author, but he's an adjunct professor at uh, NYU. He's a leadership coach, workshop leader for Columbia Business School, columnist for Inc., and he's the founder of SpodekAcademy.com. Now, he's led uh, all types of seminars in leadership and many other topics as well at Harvard, Princeton, MIT, and many others. Uh, and if you weren't sure about his academic background, he only holds five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysicist and MBA, and even studied under a Nobel Prize winner. And yet he's talking to me today. I don't know why, how that happened, but that's cool. Uh, he's earned praise as best and brightest. And I, I got to tell you, uh, he's very interesting. He's visited North Korea twice, swam the Hudson River, and has done burpees every day for six years, 90,000 plus and counting. He even blogs daily at joshuaspodek.com. Josh, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show, and thanks for talking with us today. Steve, I'm really glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this. And I have to say, when you wrap up 45 years into a couple of minutes, it sounds really like a lot more. <laughs> hey, it is a lot for you, my friend. That's uh, an incredible accomplishment in any lifetime. And I look forward to hearing your ideas today. And before we get started to that, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Now, you know, the past couple of years, I've gotten really into cooking and in particular into cooking from scratch, from like just fruits, vegetables, all from scratch. And this past winter is when it really started coming together. Winter in New York City means a lot of like radishes and turnips and cabbage and rutabagas and things like that. 
and the spring is amazing. I've been getting all these new fruits and vegetables that I, now that I've learned how to cook, I'm making them better. And it's, I'm having people over, I'm eating more healthy. It's just, I don't know if it's fun comes to mind. I don't know how much people think of food is fun, but man, it's this springtime has been the best fun for my mouth in as long as I can remember. Well, uh, it sounds like fun to me. I I love eating. So uh, the preparation part is, is I kind of lack there, but I'll tell you, I I certainly don't mind enjoying it. Now in my introduction, I I mentioned that you've done burpees every day. Uh, Now, some of our listeners may not know what a burpee is. Why don't you tell them what that is? The simplest way to describe it is it's, a, it's an all-over body you base a body exercise and no weights, no equipment, no nothing. All you do is you drop down, do a push-up. I mean, from standing up, you drop down, do a push-up, and then jump up. Some people call it a squat thrust. People call it different names, but it's, I've heard fitness people, fitness experts describe it as, as a candidate for like the best single exercise. Cool. Uh, I, I'll take any exercise is good, and uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Now, let, let's uh, transition and start talking a little bit about uh, your book, Leadership Step-by-Step. As you know, we really are passionate here at Manager Mojo about helping people become better leaders. And uh, w- when you wrote this book, uh, I-, I love the title and the concept behind it because you talk about step-by-step. So uh, tell, us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit as far as an overview of what are they going to learn whenever they read this great book? So I want to contrast it first with when I took leadership classes in business school, it was, they taught me through lecture and case study and readings and writing papers and definitely better than nothing. It gave, it gave me an overview of things, but it didn't teach me how to lead. So when I graduated, went off in the world, I didn't really know what I was doing. And it was almost as if I was starting from scratch. So the book is a set of exercises that if you do them, you will learn through experience, through practice both the practice and the theory of what you're doing. And one of my big models for this was how we teach people how to act or how to play a musical instrument. You teach, you start with the fundamentals and the fundamentals are not just, if you want to, if you want to learn how to play the piano and you start with scales, it's not just randomly hitting the keyboard. You hit the key, you know, you hit this key, then this key, then this key, because there's a scale, you know, and by practicing it, you learn how to do it. And this thing happens that when you practice it enough and then you move on to, musical pieces, you learn, you learn how to, how to express yourself. And I see leadership as equally expressive and artful and challenging and requiring genuineness and authenticity of any of these other practices that are also experiential, performance-based, social, emotional, active. And so it's, it's that style of learning applied to leadership. Very cool. Uh, and, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I know many of us have experienced the same thing. We, we go to school, we learn all of the book stuff, and then all of a sudden we uh, go into the world and we got to deal with real people. And that's what I call them. It's real people, meaning that they're going to make what to you might be illogical conclusions and illogical statements. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, exactly. It, it stuff doesn't make sense like reading books does. And uh, then you, as the leader, got to do stuff. So, uh, tell us from your perspective, it, what was the biggest contrast for you personally? Whenever you went from reading about it in books and learning about it in books, 
you know, what was your aha moment to understand that, hey, this, I better really dig into this and learn a little more? Well, it was really, I can't say it was one aha moment, but I can tell you one of the big things is you walk into, you're, I'm about to walk in a room and I've prepared a negotiation and I know what I want to say. And I, in my head, I'm going to say, you know, I know what I'm going to say and then they're going to respond in some way and then I'm going to respond in some way and they're going to respond in some way and then we come to some great agreement. But usually, like to me, it's like the eye contact is something that throws me that suddenly emotions start coming up and the intellectual side that I prepared with goes out the window. And so I get really nervous. And when you're nervous, you fall back on what you've done before. So if you haven't practiced, you don't really have anything to fall back on. It's hard to think of what did I read in that book that time? What should I say in this time, in a situation like this? That's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. If you, if you practice and practice, then when you're in a situation like that, then you, you do what you practiced. And if you got the fundamentals down, then you'll, you'll get the fundamentals down. And if you've done the fundamentals in practice, you'll get them down in, in, in the real situation. No question. You need that practice, don't you? Uh, in order to be prepared. So, uh, when, would it be fair to say that what you're really focusing on is how to, to actually build uh, solid relationships with people. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's one of the major pieces. I mean, there's more to it. There's, I mean, sure. I, I, if I included all, including with yourself, that would cover things because there's a lot of learning about how you operate, how, you know, how your emotional system works, and that gives you insight into how other people's emotional systems work well, too. Well, let's talk about that. How, what are those things that I, I totally agree with you? We've got to really understand our own tendencies in order to really understand how we, uh, not only how we relate, but how we tend to communicate with people. So what are your, some of the things that you learn that can help us really understand ourselves a little bit better? So there's a lot of them. I mean, one that comes to mind first is how we tend to have beliefs about the world. Some people would say mental models or just models. And we think the world is a certain way, but different people have experienced the world in different ways. And so different people have different mental models of the world. And so you and I could be in the same situation. And even if we had mostly similar backgrounds, there might be still some differences. And the same, we might observe the same thing happening and both react very differently. Like I had a classmate in school and after school, she started working at a, um, she was a consultant at a small boutique consulting firm. And she told me about how she had this project coming up that was going to take her to Mexico City. And she was really excited to go because she was learning Spanish. It was going to give her a chance to practice. And months and months went by and she kept not going to Mexico City. And I asked her, what was, what was the problem? She was like, I don't know. Just things keep coming up and we don't get the chance to go. And after a long time, it emerged that the other person on the project, it was a two-person project, her, the other person's mother told her that Mexico City was dangerous. And so my friend had a view of Mexico City as an opportunity to learn and grow. And the other one had, saw it as something that might draw a wedge between her, her and her mother, but didn't share that with their leader. And so that leader didn't know that even though it's one Mexico City, it was two different beliefs and mental models of Mexico City. And if you're leading people without understanding that they're viewing the world differently, you're, you got your arm tied behind your back. Whereas if you do know that, then you can start to understand what's actually motivating people. Uh, that, that's a great example. I, I know, uh, <laughs> I know that was uh, certainly true for me. Uh, I, I, I thought whenever I got my first leadership position that everybody was just as ambitious as I was. 
they were as devoted to work as I was. It, it never occurred to me that some people really weren't interested in doing 70 and 80 hour work weeks. I'm like, <laughs> why would you not want to do that? I mean, I didn't get that. So I, I totally understand what you're saying here. And that's a great example that all of us can learn from. Uh, but l let's say that you don't screw up so bad that you get yourself fired uh, early in your, your uh, leadership career, which happens far too often, uh, in mm -hmm. my opinion, because people don't really get trained properly. Uh, how do you keep progressing in leadership? Because I think that that's where people really, uh, they get almost comfortable where they are. And I, what would you recommend to say, hey, uh, here's some things that you should do in order to get out of your comfort zone and begin to grow? Well, I tried to put in the book exercises that would keep, that you could keep doing forever. I certainly, two of them came from my, one of my mentors, Marshall Goldsmith, and he's got Feed Forward. I don't know if people know about it, but if you search online, you can find Feed Forward by Marshall Goldsmith. And it's an exercise that I learned at least 10 years ago. And I still practice it today, and I still learn from it. And to me, it's like, I mean, as we were recording this, the, uh, the basketball the NBA finals just happened. Before the finals, they're still practicing layups and jump shots. They're still practicing the fundamentals. And I think that practicing the fundamentals, you, you, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, before Wimbledon, they're still practicing ground strokes. It might happen that Nadal will do some amazing behind the back, between the legs shot, but he does that because he has the fundamentals down so well that he doesn't have to think about them. He knows he's got it in his body without thinking about it. And I, I just come back to that over and over again. So practice your fundamentals, uh, one tip. What's another exercise that we could do? Another, the one that I do the most when I get called in to do training things is the meaningful connection exercise, which is the first one in unit four, which is leading others, which is like the culmination of everything. And it's an exercise that it works really well in, um, in any team situation, also in any networking situation. And it's, a little too, it's probably a little too long to go all the way into it, but it starts by asking someone what they, what, I like to say what's your passion, but people who don't like to say passion, you know, what's a hobby, what's something you do. Most people give a short answer to that, especially if you don't know them that well, but even if you do. So people might say movies or books or, or uh, music, the, tr the real thing is next. See, people know what they really care about, but people generally don't want to make it too obvious what they care about because we've all been hurt before. We've all been used before. We've all felt bad from... It's things that we care about are what we can be hurt by. And so we protect ourselves and don't really share these things. So when the person says books and movies, my response is... It's to communicate in a way to make them feel comfortable, to know that you will support them in what they answer. And so if they say, say they say um, they like to play music, then I'll pick two people in my life. And I have to think about this on the fly, but with practice, it gets really natural. So I'll say, oh, I know a friend of mine plays guitar and he plays because it's very expressive and he really likes it. I say the reason why he does it. And then I'll say another person, I'll say the reason why that person does it. And then I'll say, what's your reason for doing it? Now, what happens at this stage is the person now, and I've had this, I've been on both sides of this because when I demonstrate in front of groups, I had people do it back to me. And you feel like, oh, this person really wants to know. And they, they just told me about two people that they support. I have a reasonable expectation that, that this person is going to support me. 
And so the person starts giving a significantly longer answer as to why they like music. And that right there, you'll get the person feeling like, oh, this is really good. Like, I'm, the, If I stop right there and say, do you feel like we had a meaningful connection? Most of the time, they'll say yes. The next thing I do is then to take a couple of the words that were the meaning-carrying words, like the words that they stressed or repeated, and I'll respond to them, usually just a clarification question, uh, using those words. And when they hear their words used, it feels like they got really listened to. I mean, I can speak from experience that when I hear someone pick out the words that I really stressed, then it feels like, yes, you got it. That's what I was talking about. And then I'll talk more. And so I, I, I just went through it really quick. When, um, when you, when you, in the book, it, it describes, it gives anecdotes of doing it and it goes step by step how to do it. And then you practice with people that are close to you and you practice. And then eventually you start doing it with farther and farther people from your core, people who you know are going to support you. And then eventually it becomes natural. It feels weird to me now to walk into a networking situation and not make a meaningful connection and just say, like, you know, talk about the weather, sports, or, you know, what you do for a living. It's, it's, those things are specifically not meaningful. They're, they're keeping you from, I mean, they might lead to something meaningful if you're lucky, but generally they don't, they avoid going on to what people care about because they, that way they ensure that you're not going to get any problematic situations. Yeah, I agree uh, 100%, Josh. Is, uh, in, in my view, or just the way I look at it, whenever I go in those networking situations and that's all you hear, that's all you get, uh, for me, I just consider it another yada, 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 yada moment. Uh, it, it almost becomes just white noise to my ears. I, don't, I don't, didn't learn anything. Where you, when you really get to learn something specific that's interesting and valuable and you get the other person to talk about it, uh, that's when relationships really start to develop. So uh, I think that's a great exercise and one that all of us can benefit from. Now, you, talk, you mentioned the word unit, so I want to make sure our listeners know that uh, the book uh, really is uh, kind of broken into four units. Uh, you talk about understanding yourself, leading yourself, understanding others, and then leading others. And so uh, there, there's plenty of exercises and wonderful material to help you in each step. But one area that uh, I kind of want to focus a little bit on on our conversation and get your thoughts is that you make the statement that leading others focuses on leading through empathy, compassion, listening, and supportive management that avoids micromanagement. Now, I happen to believe that, that most people don't do this at all. They don't even know they're a micromanager. So why don't you uh, kind of uh, give us an idea of why this is so important and how we can kind of look for signs that we might be micromanaging. Yeah, it's, if you're a manager and you have authority over someone, you can tell them, do this job, and if you do, I'll give you a bonus, and if you don't, I'll fire you, or, you know, something like that, carrots and sticks. Right. That's working on external behavior, and you'll get, what, you'll get compliance. If the person internally is motivated, you'll get that, but you would have, that was them, not you. What elite, what sep- one of the things that separates leadership from management is to work with people's motivations. Like, a carpenter works with hand tools or tools on wood and a plumber works with tools on pipes. A leader works with emotions on people and that's what you work with. And if you have access to their emotions, their, what motivates them, then you can use those things. And people, if you're listening to our voices right now, whoever's listening, 
you care about what you do. It means the people you work with also care about what they do, which means they have motivations that they, they came to the job at least partly because they, they care about something about what the company does, something, there's something that motivates them. And if you never get that out in the open and they never connect that motivation to the task, they'll always be complying but never really getting into it. They won't have that sense of ownership. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do connect that, first of all, by making them feel comfortable sharing it with you. you know, most people aren't comfortable. People can work for years at a company and never share their underlying motivations for why they're there. If you get that out there and you connect that to the task, the team task, they will feel a range of things. One, they'll feel a sense of ownership of the project. They'll feel, they'll feel uh, loyalty to you because you've now made it meaningful to them and they'll feel meaning for the project. They'll feel purposeful. And then you get people, you don't have to just get them to comply. They'll do it because they want to. In fact, they'll often work very hard and they'll do it for themselves and you'll look at them and think, oh, I don't deserve all this work from them, but they're not doing it for you. They're doing it for that motivation that was there first. And they want, people want that to happen. Sometimes people say, Josh, we're getting their emotions out and getting them to do it for their emotions. Isn't that manipulation? After you lead this way a couple of times, you look back and the idea of trying to get people to do stuff for money, that's manipulation. Absolutely. Getting, getting them to do it for the reasons they want to is much more, it's like unleashing. It's, it's, liberating so how do uh, if you would it be fair for me to say based on what you just said that if you really can't identify the real motivation that somebody came to work for your company or for you specifically that uh, you're missing out on a very key ingredient that's going to separate uh, the performance from your team from others yeah, you're not you're gonna have less intimacy between people. You're not gonna be able to resolve conflicts as well. People aren't gonna be able to trust each other as much. But when that gets out there and people can share these things, with knowing that you're gonna support them and you're gonna you know you do this with enough people on the team, you're gonna create a culture where this happens. Then yeah, people feel comfortable doing these things, and you have you have, you're you can align interests better. I mean, think of think of being a coach on a basketball team. Imagine one player thinks. Uh, we're a defensive team. And the other one thinks, I'm the star. You should give the ball to me. And the other one thinks, we should wind the clock down because this is, uh, you know, we've got to lead. That team's going to do terrible. Even if they're all great players, the star's like, give me the ball. And the other one's like, let's put the clock down. And the other one's thinking, you know, it's on defense. That's where it matters. If you're a coach and you find out what each player, what motivates each player, you can align interests and you can get people to work together and people will have expectations of, no, you know, they'll know what the other person's going to do and they'll know why without having to think about it because it'll be from these, this communication. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I think the key from, from what I'm hearing you talk about, it, it does get into understanding other individuals' motivations or maybe another way to say it would be their why for being, uh, being there. And uh, we've all heard people talk about leading with empathy and compassion and listening, but those are the tools that we use in order to find out what people's motivations are. Isn't that a correct statement? Yes. It's the methods we use. Maybe tools is not the right word, but methods, tools. Uh, But it's the way that we actually can understand how to communicate effectively with somebody else. Yeah, it's the practice. I think of it as, as 
skills. These are emotional skills, social mm-hmm. and emotional skills. Exactly. The analytical traditional education, they're great for analytical and intellectual skills, but for the social and emotional side, school very rarely teaches this sort of thing. And the way you learn it, you cannot read your way or watch enough TED Talks to develop integrity or or you know to listen well it has to come through social emotional experience and that's why i think exercises have to do it and that's why when you look at actors they you know you give them a script someone else wrote the script and yet you get tremendous authenticity and genuineness from a well-rehearsed experienced actor and i think that's why i use similar training for leadership i don't have the acting exercises but it's the structure starting with the basics and then moving up to advanced very cool I, I think that's an, an excellent way of describing it. Now, Josh, I know uh, people that are listening are going to want to connect with you. Uh, why don't you share with our listeners uh, how they could connect with you, how they could learn more about leadership step-by-step? So the book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and that's, so it's Leadership Step-by-Step by Joshua Spodek. And to reach me, you know, I mentioned the Meaningful Connection exercise, and I'll create a page that will give you the leadership the, it's a, I'll put a, an excerpt from the book with the chapter on leadership on uh, meaningful connection and videos of me doing the exercise so that people can, what I described in a couple of minutes, you can see, you can watch me doing it with others and get an exercise on it. So that's, I'll put that at spodekacademy.com um, slash mojo. Perfect. So if, so if people go to spodekacademy.com slash mojo, then they'll get access to all of that. And it'll, I'll put all my social media on there too. Awesome. And uh, for those of you that are uh, exercising right now, we'll make sure to put a link directly in this uh, episode to make it easy for you to go directly to uh, that link. Uh, that's awesome. And I appreciate you doing that very much, Josh. Uh, as, as we start to kind of conclude our talks today, I like to conclude with action items that, that people can take right away that they can begin to grow and improve in their leadership style. What would be the, the top two action items that you would like for people to take away from our conversations today that they could move their career forward? It's hard for me not to say get the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's I mean, okay. I'll say I mean, that. Get the book. Obviously, that's number one. But I want to look at, you know, outside of the book. Uh, I, I want them to do something immediately from listening. Other than It's going to take them a few days to read the book. I want, to, I want them to do stuff now. What would those so things big, be? So the big philosophy behind the book is that you learn from doing. And every, if, someone, if you see someone with skills that you don't have, that you would like to have, they weren't born with it. They developed it somehow. So if you think right now of something that you would like to have, think of someone who has a skill that you would like to have that you don't have yet. Maybe it's how to hire people well, or maybe it's how to interview people well, or maybe it's to know how to promote people or to give better feedback or advice or whatever. Think of someone who's better at it than you are and ask them, how did you develop that? And then do it or recreate an experience for yourself that will replicate the experience that they had because then you will develop the skill that they had too. But do not think, oh, they were born with it or there's just that way. That's an, I view that as an excuse to, you know, we're all human. No one is born with, you know, we're all born not able to talk or anything. And you, what someone else developed, you can also develop. 
That's awesome. I, I appreciate you saying that because it has been my mission in life. Uh, and one of the reasons why I created uh, the Manager Mojo Show was because uh, so many people buy into that lie that you have to be born with all these qualities and you don't. Everybody learns them. So, yeah, and yeah, I, one of the things I say is that people, who, people who suck at things tell you how great they are. People who are awesome at things tell you about the disasters they went through to get awesome. <laughs> and they're much better stories. And yeah, that's, it, it's going to happen, but you'll learn from it. You know, I, you said two pieces of advice, so I'll, I'm going to give another. Not, it might not sound leadership related, but you won't go wrong doing a few burpees. And if you keep doing them regularly, even if you just start with one or two and you do them every day, you would be amazed at what you learn about yourself, about the discipline that you developed, about, and you'll get fit too. That is so, do few, awesome. Doing some burpees. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> ah, I love it, Josh. Uh, it's, it's been great to talk with you today. And uh, I, I know all of us have uh, learned from your experience today. Uh, my guest today is Josh Spodek. He's the best-selling author of Leadership Step-by-Step. Uh, Josh, thank you for uh, your wisdom and for putting it down in paper where we all can learn from it. And uh, thanks for introducing us to burpees today. That's kind of cool. Didn't expect that. Uh, but we wish you continued success, not only with the book, but in every endeavor that you take in your life. Steve, thank you. I, it was, I, I really enjoyed your questions and how you've led me. And, you know, my success is measured by the success of the people who do the exercises and get something from it. So I hope I, I want success to everyone out listening to this. Awesome. I know it'll be a great one. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. Steve here, and one last reminder, I want to thank you for listening to the show, and I want to encourage you, go over to mojouniversity.com. Before you forget it, make sure you sign up for our training site, and let me be your teacher this year. I promise you, you're going to be successful. You're going to love it. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up today.